Hey everyone, welcome back to the Banana Data Podcast, a podcast hosted by Data IQ, where we discuss the good, the great, and the ugly of AI in our bi-weekly episodes. I'm Chris. And I'm Corey. Let's dive in. Hi, and welcome to the Banana Data Podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is the first episode of season five. Please feel free to subscribe to past episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to listen to our first four seasons talking about the latest and greatest of all things related to AI and data science, as well as ethics in these fields. So this season, we're going to be changing things up a bit. We're going to start a series of live episodes with myself and CPM here, and we're going to be talking about the humanizing of data and what that means. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to humanize data? And that's a really great question because I don't know that much about data science, but I know a lot about dealing with human beings. So it's going to be a great learning lesson for all of us here. The rust is wearing off. We're thawed out from the ice here of our break for the last few months. Our skin's looking great. Our voices sound terrific. So let's kick things off. CPM, what is the humanizing of data? Well, what is data to begin with? Data is just numbers. It's just text fields. It's just dates and times, different observations. And that can be just represented in a spreadsheet of sorts. But what does it really mean to make sense of that? Humanizing data is taking those numbers, those observations, those, those text fields, and actually bringing it to life, <laughs> you know, as, as, as the name implies, humanizing that data and really telling a story with that data to make it more tangible and understandable to a general audience and more impactful to a certain degree. Well, CPM, we're so used to like automating things now. We want to build models to be able to automate and predict and learn and be able to do all these tasks for us. So if we're trying to teach machines how to do that, then why do we need humanization? It's also a really great question. I don't think that computers can learn necessarily how to humanize data. I think that models can be built in such a way that we can predict things very accurately, very well, very swiftly. Those types of activities are things that computers and, and AI are very, very good at. But humanizing the output is something that we do need to essentially have that interstitial of some individual taking the time to understand what is within the data to present it to that audience. Maybe it would be a good idea to, to give an example of a humanized data insight. What do you think, Corey? I love that idea. So there was a really good insight from an article that I recently read, The Case for Humanizing Data on uh, LBARD Design. And there was this very uh, impactful visual. You know, it, there is a, a statistic that 315 plastic bottles are wasted by every individual in, in America annually. And that is definitely a very groundbreaking statistic, but it doesn't really come to life. And it's not really a humanized insight until this individual graphed it, but not in a statistical graph, but in an artistic visual with a human being being subsumed by over 300 plastic bottles in a wave. It's not until that moment where that data really takes on a more impactful point of view through a visual representation that humanized that insight. So 315 plastic bottles per year per person in America, that is a statistic, but humanizing that data in, in a certain fashion that is easily digestible and understandable to everybody in essentially a cartoon or a graphic 
really brings that point home. Chris, of course, is talking about data visualization, which, of course, is a really simple concept. You know, everyone sees numbers, but everyone sees more in a picture. As the saying goes, a picture says a thousand words. So you can add more depth visually to what you're trying to communicate with the data that you're providing. People could be turned off. They could be intimidated by. They can be misinformed with a spreadsheet, a table, a statistic. But being able to put that in a compelling visual really sort of humanizes the data because it it democratizes it and it opens it up to a wide swath of people who can now better understand how many plastic bottles we use per year and the burden on our environment that might provide. There's also a lot of empathy there as well, because you can more easily relate to that type of visual or that insight than representations in a spreadsheet. Even data scientists, I mean, I've seen hundreds of spreadsheets, thousands of spreadsheets, and until you actually have that interpretive value, whether it be from a model or coefficients of a model, you don't really understand the story that's behind the data. But even a step further, for those who are not data scientists, there's more empathy in a visual of that nature. So why do we need the humanization of data? Why can't we just have pictures that communicate a thousand words and we have spreadsheets that are smarter and contain a ton of data? Who is this really helping? Well, I think it's helping everybody. Think about it from both the storyteller and the listener. The storyteller can more easily get their point across by virtue of humanizing their data. And ultimately, there's so much value within data. And I think it was in past seasons, we've talked about how the first step was the realization that we are in this new data age and we need to collect data. The second stage was actually collecting that data. Third stage was housing that data. The fourth stage is actually doing something with that data. Well, once you find those insights in actually doing something with that data, you have that story to tell. And if you can't get that message across then you you can't actually do anything with all the insights that you're finding. So the storyteller can gain from humanizing that data. But also the audience who is ingesting that information can also learn from that information. So if there's a communication barrier between a data scientist or an AI evangelist and the audience, the masses, then there's also going to be a breakdown. So both sides can gain from this humanizing. As CPM skillfully said, there are a number of episodes in the Banana Data Podcast. So if you want to (laughs) learn more about other topics that we kind of touched on before, please feel free to subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts today. For example, last season, we did an episode on people analytics. That's a really good example of how you can humanize data, literally in some cases, and about how we can apply it to the whole enterprise, where humanizing data isn't just about one person not just about necessarily an audience or telling a story, but it's about really sort of engaging the whole enterprise, applying it on a business perspective, applying it in a group or community perspective. So I'm going to segue now here with my next question. So Chris, what do we gain by data visualization and data humanization? How do we apply it to our day-to-day? I think you have an example you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. So I can actually think of a few times that... Um, I was working with clients on consulting projects and we kind of had the data siloed, just our data team. And that served us well for a certain aspect, but not really for the long run. It served us well such that we were able to build really great models that were really predictive, that were really descriptive 
helped us kind of reach a goal of a certain level of accuracy and kind of serve the need for, you know, the, the specific consulting project. But aside from the data scientists that were working on the project, we really didn't have the story arc that we were talking about before. And it wasn't really until we took a step back and thought about why are we doing this? What is the goal of having really great predictions? What's the goal of having a really accurate model? What is the impact to the real world? What is the impact to the customers, the client, to, in this case, patients and doctors who are going to learn from the different types of prescriptions that they were delivering? And it was a really groundbreaking moment to us that we realized that uh, we, we kind of lost our way. The compass we had in front of us was more geared towards things that might be relevant to a data science team, building these models, training these models, tuning these models, deploying these models, which is all very important. But the average layperson is not going to think about the models or think about the data itself. You're really going to have an empathetic connection to the result of those models and the result of the insights that are in that data. And that impact to pharmaceuticals and doctors who are prescribing patients with drugs to help them get better, to help them get on a therapeutic path to health is what is a storyline that I think everybody can relate to in a certain regard. And that humanized that data. So what you're saying is that when you took a step back and you thought about the humans in the loop, <laughs> then the data became a lot more comprehensive and a lot more helpful to understand. Completely, completely. When we had humans in the storyline, it becomes much more of a colorful picture, both literally and figuratively. And going back to the example before, I mean, it, it's one thing to look at a spreadsheet and see a percentage of how many plastic bottles are utilized and are potentially harming our environment every year. It's another thing to see it in a visualization. It's another thing to see it in an art installation. If you put thousands of plastic bottles in the middle of the sidewalk, that's going to be really disruptive for people. You're going to really understand the harm that you're causing by doing something like that. Did you go on any art museums when we were on our break? Maybe like a couple. <laughs> I guess uh, I'm flipping the script right now and disrupting the space by asking you some questions, Corey. Sure. But actually, that, that was a question I'd like to ask. What do you think is the value of actually disrupting this space, you know, specifically as it relates to humanizing data? Is this something that uh, is a practice that we haven't really done in the past or that we're just starting to do? What might be the value of, of doing this? And for the record, even though I live a very short distance from the Brooklyn Art Museum, I do not visit many museums. So uh, <laughs> that was my attempt at sarcasm. But um, <laughs> I think that's a really great question in terms of disruption. If you look at trying to expand the scope of how data applies to everyday life, you can think of a million examples. We've named a few, but you're going to be working every single day. And probably most of this audience is very used to working with data hand in hand. They're very comfortable with it. They're very comfortable building models. They're very comfortable working with data sets. They're very comfortable using platforms like DataIQ DSS, for example. But there's a huge audience out there that can actually find a lot of value by applying some of these principles in here. So if we're talking about data visualization, for example, your art department, your graphic designer, your creative director, your web designer becomes just as important, if not important, as your data scientist or your data analyst. They're now collaborating with each other. If you're talking about storytelling, your salesperson, your sales engineer, your customer success manager, your account executives, 
they become just as important in terms of telling the story and looping in these human beings and these human examples as the data would indicate. Yes, you can talk about how much money you're going to save in the long run, but if you can actually talk about what you're going to do with something, then people who are not really data scientists, the citizen data scientists, if you would, become an integral part of this ecosystem. And it also brings in all of that variety of perspective because we can gain from having the different perspective if we're, if it's not just siloed within the data scientist, the data team, we also can miss the forest for the trees and not see those perspectives unless they're brought in. That's very true. The point is we're providing context. So numbers are just numbers. Data is just data, but data represents a facet of something that is happening. And if you're able to contextualize it in an example that the humans in the loop or the humans that are on the opposite end of the listeners that are listening to the stories in a way that they're better able to understand it, then it comes to a point where everyone is going to understand. And that just sounds so obvious, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, you, you might you might ask, like, why haven't we done this before? If humanizing data is something that's so obvious, it's, it's staring us right in the face. What's preventing us from doing it more often? And I had to think about this for a little while, but I think it all comes back to behavior. And in psychology, it's much easier to start a behavior and repeat that same behavior than have a pre-existing behavior and try to change it changing a learned behavior with the fact that we have our data, we, we collected our data, we stored our data, we're now interpreting our data. The next element there is humanizing this data and making it understandable to the masses. So we are actually in this pivot point where we are trying to democratize the insights to everyone, no matter where you are along the data expertise scale. So, I mean, it's, it's something that, that seems like it's staring us right in the face, something that we should be doing all the time that we should have been doing forever. But we're kind of at a, a pivot point here where I'm hopeful that we'll see this happening more often. But yeah, it's a goal that we should all have in the present day. And we really are at a pivot point because mm -hmm. as Chris mentioned, like, why haven't we done this before? Had there been other examples in the past where we have done this? And he might have not even realized he was doing this, but like, these are going to be topics that we're going to discuss in this series all season long. So please be sure to subscribe. So with that, I want you to put your data science cap on for a second, Chris. Okay. Engaging data science hat. Beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> Okay, so you guys, you might not have seen this, but those those noises mean that it's activated. So when you are building a model and you are like building a flow or something like that, we talk about data humanization and data visualization. If you are using like visual recipes, for example, are those helpful to help be able to bridge and sort of be that storyteller when you're trying to showcase what your data means and how it's functioning and what the outcomes are? Absolutely. A data scientist, for sure, a classical data scientist might be very used to coding. And that's a different language that takes time and effort and repetition to learn. Something like a visual recipe is something that's more tangible and easy for anybody to engage with, but it kind of makes that barrier to entry much lower for those who may not have had the extent of education that a data scientist has had. But what does it allow for? It allows for the simplifying of 
the day-to-day processes of cleaning data and organizing that data, aggregating that data, and piping it to maybe a dashboard where anybody can kind of see the output, either graphically or numerically. It's not necessarily the same as, as humanizing the data, but it's, it's democratizing that data and making it easier to ingest by any party. Are there times where there are things that warrant the visualization as opposed to times where things just kind of weren't just the hard data? That's a great question. I think in any data science project, you need to perform exploratory data analysis at the forefront no matter who you are, no matter what type of project you're working on, it's so easy to kind of hop right into the model building and sort of skip that EDA. But a lot of the time, the story that you're trying to tell comes from the observations you make in a graphical representation. So Chris, we've been talking about humanization, storytelling, visualization, and having a human in the loop. So it's just as simple as the data spouting out whatever it says, the human being looking at it, and then just trusting it and implementing the data side on scene, right? (laughs) Blindly trusting it always is what you should do. (laughs) No, no, no. Of course, that's a little bit of sarcasm. There is a a complement to this discussion that, that we haven't yet delved into I recently watched a TED Talk uh, by Claire Melamed, um, who is the CEO of Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data. And she had a TED Talk on humanizing data, and she talked about the invisibleness within data. And I think that that is a salient discussion topic here, because if we kind of just blindly trust the data that we have and attempt to ingest that data and interpret it, we could also be missing out on humanizing very important aspects of the data. And there could be large repercussions there. So an example she talked about was the concept of how do we spend our money to build schools in a community, in, in, a, in a country? But what about the invisible children in the data, missing in that data? How many children aren't in school because there is no school or teacher available in their area? What about those who are looking after a family and can't go to school or those who have a disability or very sick and are unable to go to school? That's a very human aspect of the results of recommendations we might make from data by virtue of trying to humanize it. But if we're attempting to humanize data that has missingness in this regard, we're losing the importance of that contextualization and in this case could have very large negative and adverse repercussions to doing our best with the data we have, but failing to humanize in the most appropriate way. Now, I know this is a really large kind of impactful scenario, but it could go to things that we see every single day, like marketing campaigns. What invisible audiences don't we have in our data and and what topics are we missing that might be relevant to our community? Um, Or even something like a supermarket layout. What invisible products might be missing from our data that could serve well for somebody who is a potential purchaser? Um, There's a lot of gains and losses to be had, and that's actually something that we're going to talk about on our next episode. So uh, I won't go into the details now, but if you're interested, do stay tuned for that. Context matters, folks. Context matters. And as CPM mentioned, our next episode, we're going to be talking about the gains and losses of data. And no, we're not going to strap a rocket to it. This isn't going to be about stonks. We're going to actually <laughs> talk about the consequences 
of our data and what happens when your data recommends that you space out a supermarket 30 miles away and create a food desert as a result. I might not talk about that example, but I just mentioned it anyway. I think that's probably a good place to end, right? For our first episode of season five, we did it. Oh my gosh, we kicked it off. That's all we've got today in the world of banana data. We'll be back with another podcast in two weeks. In the meantime, Banana Data Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.